The news today is crazy. There's injustice happening all around us, but it's not clear what we should do about it. Or, as Bob Dylan said, yes, and how many times can a man turn his head and pretend he just doesn't see? This is a story about how one guy decided enough is enough and took matters into his own hands in the only way a hacker knows how. These are true stories from the dark side of the internet. I'm Jack Resider. This is Darknet Diaries. Support for this show comes from Veronis. Guess how many files the average employee can access on their first day of work? 17 million. And most of them, they never use. Those files are what these ransomware gangs steal and hold hostage. Because companies will pay to get that back. That's why ransomware is such a threat. The blast radius is huge. 17 million files? There's so much valuable data that's easy to get and they can make money from. Do you wonder what your company's ransomware blast radius is? Veronis does a free cyber resilience assessment and tells you how many important files a compromised user could steal and whether anything would beep if they did, and a whole lot more. They actually do all the work, show you where the data is open to, if anyone is using it, and what you can do to lock it down before attackers get inside. They also can detect behavior that looks like ransomware and stop it automatically. You can even get a break on your cyber insurance. If you want to learn more, visit varonis.com dark. That's spelled V-A-R. O-N-I-S, veronis.com slash dark. This episode does have foul language and some light uh, descriptions of nudity. If that's an issue for you, you've been warned. I'm sorry, what's that? I can use this call to for the podcast Darknet Diaries. Oh, of course, of course. So, yeah, I want to hear all about it. I want to hear what happened to you, how you got in trouble and... All this stuff. So are you ready to start from the beginning? Yeah, yeah. Hackers sometimes have two names. The name they use online, like a cloak. The one they go by, that all their friends online know them as, even if they don't know them at all. And then there's their real name, the name their family uses. Sometimes there's a night and day difference between the personas associated with these names. Literally, one used only during the day and the other at night in the darkness of the internet. You know, from pretty early on, Hacking for a cause versus hacking for a malicious just to do it. Uh, I mean, just to do it was a lot of my early hacking. Was, oh, I need to access or I'm bored. Let me go hack this site up or, hey, new zero day. Let me go try it out. Um, but that focused me into that, that realm. His love of computers led him into hacking, all kinds of hacking, knocking websites offline, getting into their databases and defacing them were all things that he knew how to do and was doing Sometimes just for fun, sometimes for a cause. But um, yeah, so that kind of lent, it, lent itself from the adoption of Anonymous by me, right? It, they, they seem to have the same ideals. Um, they like to do funny shit just for funniness, and I was all about that. Uh, but I also like the fact that, um, you know, there was a little bit of social justice in there. Uh, you know, hey, we're going to go harass these people, but it's for this cause. And at the time, you know, 
apolitical. There's no right. There's no left. There's no wrong or right. It was just, this is something to do. There was a lot of fervor behind this mask and this identity of non-identities. This is Wormer. At least that's his online name, his anonymous identity. And when I say Wormer is his anonymous identity, I mean, that is the name he would use while hanging out with Anonymous online, in chat rooms and around the internet. I had the technological know-how to see the hacks. I had been on the Anon-Ops channels and stuff as they were doing these giant DDoSs, and I kind of watched and learned the organization uh, as it was being uh, managed, right? The secret rooms and all that good stuff. We are Anonymous. Nobody is really a member of Anonymous. We are Legion. We do not forgive. And at the same time, everyone is really a member of Anonymous. We do not forget. Expect us. It's not a well-defined group, but Wormer here had been watching what they were doing for years and sympathizing with a lot of their causes. For instance... Shut it down. It is time to shut down this terrorist organization, this terrorist website, WikiLeaks. Shut it down, Attorney General Holder. In 2010, WikiLeaks, a site that was releasing secret documents to the public, rose in popularity. WikiLeaks was based on the idea of letting the people judge these secrets and government activities or scandals for themselves. But many of those in power saw WikiLeaks as a big problem. I think the man is a high-tech terrorist. Um, he's done enormous. Assange. Yeah. He needs to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, and if that becomes a problem, we need to change the law. Many people in Anonymous loved the idea of people in power falling due to a scandal coming to light. But let me remind you, this was 10 years ago. A lot about Assange and WikiLeaks has changed since then. But at that time, Anonymous liked WikiLeaks and thought it was cool. The founder of WikiLeaks has warned that it may soon have to stop publishing secrets because of a cash crisis. But in January 2010, PayPal suspended and froze all donations to WikiLeaks. Julian Assange says the outfit is feeling the pinch because of a financial blockade by several US firms. This made a lot of people in Anonymous outraged. So a group of anonymous people decided to take PayPal offline. Anonymous hacktivists, hacker activists, have basically got together and are exacting revenge for what they see as attacks on WikiLeaks. And they're targeting a number of corporations that have cut off uh, um, their ties with WikiLeaks, MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, uh, also the Swiss bank that shut down Julian Assange's account in Switzerland. And so were you watching some of that stuff go down? I was in the chat rooms when that was going on, yeah. Uh, from the planning phases to the the kicking it off and getting everyone, um, um, you know, on board. Um, in fact, I believe around a similar time, I wrote a, a Python application that would actually look at, like, Twitter trends and then inject um, our call to action uh, to kind of try to force the hand of, okay, well, here's this trending thing. Here's this thing we want to talk about. Quickly inject it into the stream a couple times and move on to, on to the next one. Um, you know, so I was definitely part of the machine, getting people involved and, and understanding the attacks and why people were doing it and how they were organizing it. 14 people were arrested for this attack on PayPal. Wormer didn't get caught this time, but he wormed his way deeper into Anonymous. It had become part of his identity and he saw the next big movement starting up. Uh, around, you know, 2010, 2011, the Occupy movement had started. He was upset that banks, the one percenters, were getting bailed out. 
and the 99%, the rest of us had to carry the burden. He wanted to get the message out. I did um, a non-communications. So if we needed something or if we had a, a, um, an event that we were doing or a call to action, I would go and amplify that through like your non-news and et cetera, et cetera. I would, I would throw that out there to get it into the masses. I did the hacker channels, right? So there were dedicated channels where if you were a hacker, they would bring you into that. I hadn't yet really broken the law, but I was still helping out. Anonymous was known for exposing issues that they thought the public should know about. And this morphed into a sort of online township rebellion. Why stand on a silent platform? Fight the war. By this time, I'm already, you know, rage, very rage against the machine, you know. Fuck the government, fuck this, I'm going all in. And here's a cause where the rest of the people around me are also uh, for it, you know. It became a movement to just get, let's get the truth out there and expose something. So it, I could see why you're swept up in the fervor now. Right. And, and, and remember, the Hacker Manifesto uh, it, it is that all information should be free. So it, it was ingrained in me by this point, right? Everything should be free. Look at these whistleblowers. Look at this. And so, yeah, it was, it was really easy for me to get swept up and kind of uh, uh, radicalized. Um, I already had the prerequisites. I just needed someone to point my anger somewhere. And, uh, you know, Anonymous at that time did just that. And one of the prerequisites he had was that he was becoming a skillful hacker, not just taking websites offline by flooding them with packets, but he was also learning how to wiggle his way into a website with precision and gain access to the backend database. So with these skills and Anonymous lighting the fire behind him, it was soon gonna be time for Wormer to jump into action. In 2011, the Occupy movement protests began. Calling witness to wealth inequality in the U.S. It's immoral not to stand up and say something. There was an injustice here, and Wormer wasn't going to sit and do nothing. This movement moved him to get up and go protest himself, in person, in a small town in Michigan where he was living at the time. He was protesting downtown, and then camping there all night. 24 hours a day, he was making a statement. The police used batons to clear them out, but the police threw their stuff into garbage trucks, into rubbish trucks, and told them they could come and get it back in the morning. But cities were not always happy with this. Some had called in the police to clear out these camps. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we ask that you walk onto the sidewalks. But when the cops started doing things they weren't supposed to be doing, that's when Anonymous started keeping a close tab on them and recording what they were doing. Well, at that time, I was doing cop watch. So there were still some camps that were running, uh, but they were all pretty much getting their eviction notices. So I'm watching this one particular one. I don't remember the state, um, but I remember the event. Uh, and these cops were marching in on this place. They had already harassed the camp multiple times, flashing their lights, try to wake everybody up, that kind of stuff. Um, and as they're coming coming through, uh, the camera people on the ground were trying to record and get their IDs, right? Uh, try to get their numbers. And we noticed that their numbers were blacked out. They had put in black tape over them. You know, I was just like, whoa, you know, like what's going on? And we had reports of people switching districts. So they would raid a camp, not in their police district in case they had friends or family that ran into it, doing all these kinds of little things. So I'm watching this elderly woman 
and she starts having a seizure. And this cop, assuming automatically, right, that she's resisting, just starts beating her. The, oh my God, that could be me, hit me like a ton of bricks and action had to happen. It had to happen. They're arresting everybody. They're shutting down our camps. Everything's just starting to come to that head. And I said, um, that's it. I can do something. Wormer begins to morph from an activist into a hacktivist and enters some dark waters on the internet. He finds out Anonymous had already started something called Operation Pig Roast. And after the break, Wormer goes head over heels into it all. Support for this episode comes from Oracle for Startups. I think I have to buy a new phone this week. This one I have is running out of space and it's just too slow for my modern usage. But I wonder if startup companies have this same problem where they start out with some cool new technology to run their business, but over time it starts to slow down and their underlying architecture just can't handle big customers, large spikes, or the growth that they hope to have. How does a startup find technology that can grow with them? Well, Oracle has this startup partnership. It's cleverly called Oracle for Startups. The idea is even though you're a startup, you can tap into the cloud computing power, expertise, and connections of a big dog like Oracle. You get free cloud credits and 70% off their cloud services. Plus, with multi-cloud support and no vendor lock-in, you build this any way you want. Now you aren't frustrated and you've got the power to scale and you're free to go after your dream customers. Don't stay stuck. Go check out oracle.com slash go to slash darknet. They're going around for the Occupy movement and finding this private information about these police officers uh, because they had started hiding their badges and stuff. Wormer, the hacktivist, has moved his camp from downtown on the streets to back home in his bedroom where he can try to use hacking to expose the police that were covering up their names and badge numbers and sort of pull that tape off digitally. Anonymous didn't want these cops being anonymous. We're after cops. I'm going to find them all. He would first scour Google, looking for any lists of police officers in his town, and then try to match them with faces and try to identify them in the protest videos. And this was something, but it wasn't enough. Wormer wanted to know more. I was, I was after names and addresses. And uh, if you didn't want to follow your own laws to, to use your phone, your number on your badge, so at least you could be accountable for your crimes, then I'm going to make it really easy to go back and check to make sure, hey, you know, this guy did this thing. So Wormer decides to hack the police. He started getting a list of police department websites and looking at them to see if there was any way to hack into them to see maybe he could find a list of police officers. Back then, you were kind of doing something new, which was going after cops. And that not many people had done that yet. And did it kind of feel like this was a forbidden target? Like, did it feel really, really, really wrong to you? Or what? I have cops in my family. I don't hate cops. I hated what these particular cops were doing. I came into this knowing that at some point I was going to be caught. At some point I was going to be held responsible. And, you know, you just we just had to do it. Sit back, grab some popcorn and enjoy the ride. 
the anonymous operation Pig Roast went into full effect. We couldn't sit idle while we watched our brothers and sisters being beaten. Wormer joined up with a hacking crew called Cabin Crew, and he began a roaring rampage of hacking the police. We are the cabin. We are the 99%. He would ask other people in Anonymous to send him links to every police department's website in the U.S., and he would build a long list of these websites, and then he would use his computer to programmatically scan each website to see if any of them were vulnerable. The first one that he found that was vulnerable was a police department website in West Virginia. He found the website was vulnerable to SQL injections, a common vulnerability on many websites. So he hacked into the West Virginia Police Department's website using an SQL injection, and this allowed him to peek behind the website and see the database underneath. And that database had a list of all the police officers in that department. You got the database, which had 150 law enforcement officer usernames, passwords, home address, home phone number, cell phone number. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what are you doing with this data then once you have a database dump of a police department? Uh, Paste bin or ghost bin or one of the bins and then send it out. It, it, It wasn't for me to be judge and executioner. My job was my the way I saw it. Um... Anonymous as a whole wanted and needed, for whatever reason, this information. I don't need to agree or know or any of that. Here's my job. I'm going to go do it. And so Wormer would publish the personal information on all these police officers that he could find, posting it to places like Pastebin, which is a place you can write text anonymously, and it pretty much stays there forever. But of course, as soon as it was posted there, it was also tweeted out and spread on all the anonymous channels so the world could see the personal information of these police officers. And this is what you call doxing the police. And remember, don't dox and drive. Yeah, and so I get—I mean, I'm trying to guess at what you're hoping happens here. It might be that somebody oh, okay. catches one of these police officers on a video, they see their badge number, something, and now they can look up on Pastebin, this is the guy, this is the actual police officer, this is where he lives and all this kind of stuff. I mean, is that what you're kind of hoping, is that somebody else makes the connections after you? Well, well, right, right. Um, and, and the real life effect was cops started, stopped getting on and, and doing these big press conferences where they talked about how they destroyed Occupy movements, right? Because every time a, co- a police officer had been in front of that camera, we had doxed them. And that just got you know bigger and bigger. So there was the real-life ramifications of that. Uh, what we were trying to do was accomplished. Um, you know, We had them, hey, if you're going to do this, cool, that's your job. You're going to be a cop. That's your beat. Cool, this is my job. This is my beat. And as Wormer would hack the police, put everything into Pastebin, and then publish it, he was also tweeting this. And here's one. On February 7th, 2012, username Anon Wormer posted on Twitter, hashtags oppigroast and cabin crew, and then with Pastebin links to the website where he dumped the whole database of police officer names. At this point, the West Virginia Gazette noticed the dump and wrote an article about this. And Wormer tweeted, quote, Was that us, R-O-F-L? Yeah? Oops. End quote. 
The next police department website he found vulnerable was Alabama Department of Public Safety, which included the National Crime Information Center data. Like, this website had access to databases such as the sex offender registry, vehicle registration information, and other personal identifying information. But all Wormer was interested in, though, was the police officer's personal information. So he grabbed that, and he started to put it together in another pastebin dump. But this one was a little different. This one is a little bit interesting. <laughs> this pastebin. You started yeah. a new thing. <laughs> Why don't you tell me what's that, what that pastebin was about? You wanted, you wanted the effect. You wanted to anger people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we weren't just hacking. We were hacktivists. And so you kind of had a little pizzazz in it, right? And so we were having having people send us shots of them in, in various things of undress, uh, holding up these kind of come at me bros. Yeah, he actually did have the audacity to tweet at the FBI where he said, quote, come at me, bro, end quote. So as Wormer would put together his pastebin post, he was adding extra pizzazz. First, at the top of the post, he would spend a lot of time making some ASCII art. Since pastebin only lets you post words and no pictures, he used just letters to make pictures and put them in the post. Okay, cool. But this is where things get weird. In this post, he added a link to an image of a mostly naked woman, but you can't see her face, and she's holding a sign. So, yeah, I mean, tell me about that picture. What is that picture? Describe that picture to me. Um, well, I'm trying to remember which one was the first one. Well, it has it has her breast and sort of a bikini, and then yep. uh, it said, Pwned by Wormer and Cabin Crew. Uh, heart you yeah. bitches. She had taken a bunch of photos uh, holding these different signs I had told her about, or asked her to, to print up. Um, and so got included into one of my hacks. And who how, who was she again to you at the time? Um, so I'm working on this decentralized platform, Dick Deep and C Code. And in comes this Australian woman. And she had seen something where the dogs were being abused. And she wanted answers. She wanted this shit taken care of. So she joins this anonymous chat room that Wormer was in and started asking a bunch of questions. Like, can you find out who's doing this animal abuse kind of stuff? But the line that won her over was tits or get the fuck out. Like, didn't have time for your BS. Don't have time for whatever you're coming at me with. I'm, I'm building something great. I did that. And she sit, put a picture down with her head cut off of her in a bikini looking beautiful on the beach. And that was it. I fell for her um, that day. So she was just kind of on the fringes of Anonymous, just kind of looking for information, but not really involved. Right, right. Didn't didn't really want to be involved in any of it. She just, hey, here's the cause. I think you guys should care about. So Wormer starts flirting with this Australian woman. He starts liking her more and more, and he finds himself chatting with her for hours and hours. We had talked to each other online in Skype calls and stuff like that. I'd obviously seen her in in various forms of undress. Um, It was just, you know, we hadn't, I was in America, she was in Australia. So essentially we private message and we just talk, like human to human, you know, what are you looking for? What, What kind of dreams are you about? What's your life like? And we just started talking and I just, I just fell for her. Uh, she was a genuine person. She talks and emotes uh, literally with the feelings of herself. You know, there's no hiding behind things. I didn't have to guess what she was doing or feeling or thinking. She, she's pretty, you know, forward with it. 
Uh, we got engaged um, shortly after. Wait, you, have you met each other before you got engaged? Nope, nope, nope. Um, and, and you can, if you go through my my non warmer tweets too, you can even see how that kind of goes on fruition. But um, essentially, you know, once I once we started talking and and again, I'm I'm hacking by day and at night because she's sleeping or working, right? And she's in Australia, so it's a whole twelve-hour difference. So I'm hacking and doing my stuff in the day, and then I'm spending nights talking to her. So I'm tired and all that other stuff. Um, I'm a thirty-something-year-old dude. Like, like, hey, here's a hot chick, and she seems to be cool. But um, everything that we're doing in our, uh, both in our social lives and as we're talking, seem to be genuine. Um, I feel. You know, one way she feels the same way. Um, I saw no reason. I don't. I, I couldn't think of a reason. Uh, you know, we had covered a broad topics. I mean, um, everything from you know how do you see in the future, what kind of plans, all that kind of stuff. So by this time, um, I think anyone who's ever had an online relationship knows how quickly these things can just like snowball up, right? Now, when Wormer got these photos of this woman, he's a hacker, right? So one of the first things he does is to look to see what metadata there is in her photos. He sees the photo was taken in Thailand and asks her about it. She says, yeah, she took it while on vacation. So he asks her for more photos. And these all have that EXIF metadata in them. And he was able to look to see where these photos were taken. And he tracked it down to a house in South Victoria, Australia. And he finds the exact address through the geolocation data in the photo and asks her, what's this address? And she's like, uh, yeah, that's where I live. Now, over the next few days, they become better and better friends. And he asks her to print out some paper signs and pose with these signs because he thinks this would be a great calling card to post with each police department database he leaks. A woman in a bikini with a sign that says hacked by Wormer or something like that. So she sends him these photos of her in different poses with different signs. All right. So West Virginia chief of police site down tweeted about it. You're in the news. That tweet's done. You got the DPS Alabama police department. That's been owned. At the bottom of that paste bin is a picture of your girlfriend's breasts in yep. a bikini that says something like uh, pwned, by, pwned by Wormer and cabin crew heart you bitches yes yes <laughs> um, department of safety hacked by a non-Wormer for op piggy bank there's a pastebin link uh, hashtag cabin crew hashtag anonymous and this Cabin crew is proud to present and release texasdps.state.tx.us data. And at the bottom is uh, another, is the same female, your girlfriend. Yep. With a scantly something or another. And it says, we're all anonymous. We never forget. We never forget. Heart a non-warmer. So uh -huh. the February 10th, I mean, you're just rapid fire at this point. Right. The very next day, Twitter user Anon Wormer posts, uh, my baby sets standards, what you got. <laughs> and then you've got f like five images of her, hashtag cabin crew. And I, I have these images here. So you've got, um, again, a bikini, no bottom, but the bottom of her, uh, you know, is covered up by a sign that says, come at me, bro, Anon Wormer. 
um, uh, <laughs> 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 underwear. Her underwear is there. And it says, proudly poked by Wormer yeah. and on love. We're so classy, by the way. We're yeah, just... that's... <laughs> She's got just real short shorts on in this one with no top, but you can't see her breasts. She's turning with her back towards you, and it says, Wormer pwned your ass and mine, you mad bro. <laughs> I, I, I have a way of, of also inciting anger in people, um, and I think I think that's obvious too. And, and what I was doing, right? I was egging everybody on. Um, but a little backstory on that. So as you can see, all of them are pretty – in your face and they're trying to trying to get an investigator really after me i already knew the gps exif data was in them and so i had a, a whole workflow for that i had my dirty images and then i would clean them and put them in another file when i went to publish that i went i went one two three and so man i need one more photo and i grabbed the wrong one put it in there and hit tweet he accidentally posted one of her photos that he didn't clean the metadata off of, which means in the file was data of where that photo was taken. So I slipped up and I just remember if there was a camera, right? Turning to the camera and being like, fuck. <laughs> uh, but maybe they'll, maybe they'll miss it. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they just won't. Maybe they'll run through the first three and be like, eh, nothing here. That's not what happened, by the way, though. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so the police were not happy with whoever a non-warmer was. I mean, how could they be? He was doxing the police themselves. Of course, they want to know who was doing this and arrest him. So an investigation started. A special agent for the cyber squad of the FBI began investigating him. He called up the West Virginia Police Department, wanting to look at all the logs of the hack, and then the Alabama Police Department to see their logs, and then the Texas Police Department to see them too. To the FBI, this all looked like it was exploiting the same SQL injection vulnerability. Not only that, but a non-wormer was claiming responsibility for each of these hacks on Twitter. So it obviously was the same person. But not only that, the logs of each of these hacks all seem to be coming from the same IP address. The FBI learned this IP address was for a residential internet connection that AT&T provided. The FBI submitted a warrant to AT&T asking for what customer had that IP, and this led them to an apartment and person in Galveston, Texas, which was exactly where Wormer was living at the time. But it wasn't Wormer's name or address. He was too clever for that. Instead, he hacked into his neighbor's Wi-Fi and did all these hacks from there. So when the FBI called his neighbor, they didn't really understand or know anything, and this didn't really help the investigation. It was kind of a dead end. So the FBI began looking at these photos that Wormer was posting of his girlfriend. Wormer had erased the geolocation data of all these photos except for that one last photo and the FBI saw the longitude and latitude of where that photo was taken, which was a house in South Victoria, Australia, Wormer's girlfriend's house. The FBI looked up who lives there and found her name, and then the FBI looked up her Facebook profile and saw she's in a relationship with a guy named Hinyo Ochoa. Hmm. 
The FBI continued to analyze all the stuff Wormer posted. And Wormer posted other pictures too, screenshots of the hacks he did, and the FBI examined each of these screenshots. The metadata was erased and cleaned, but in the screenshot itself showed a username that was logged into one application. And the username was Hij Ochoa, which could be short for Hinyo Ochoa, which has a silent G in it. Next, the FBI did some open source intelligence, just Googling things like putting Wormer and Hinyo Ochoa together. And sure enough, these two names did have connections. There were some blog posts that connected both of these together. And the FBI learned that Hinyo Ochoa was the neighbor of that person who they first tracked that IP to. With this, the FBI had enough information to positively believe that Hinyo Ochoa was the name of the person conducting these hacks on the police departments. I mean, yeah, walk me through how, between now and when you get caught, how do you? How did they catch you? Um, I'm sitting there one day, I noticed there's a new Cisco wireless AP. Basically, he was in his apartment and he wanted to see what Wi-Fi signals there were in the area and a new one popped up and he looked to see what brand of router was broadcasting this Wi-Fi because he was probably looking at this to see if he could hack into another neighbor's Wi-Fi. Huh, that's weird. A, because Cisco's not a brand you see in an apartment complex. It's not. You're usually AT&T's or TP-Links or something cheesy like that. But this particular one was a Cisco. So cracked in to that scan realized it was hooked up to um a laptop at the same time construction started on the street outside his apartment all of a sudden started getting road work done on it and in texas it's you know pretty common uh but there's something strange about it the people that would, would show up and they would act like they're working right but never do anything and i was like okay something's going on um, I remember walking outside and seeing the actual um, undercover agent that was watching me, just smoking cigarettes, throwing them over the balcony. And that was a tell too, right? This dude had been here chain smoking for God knows how long, because I don't just leave every day. He assumes he's being watched, both in real life and online. He feels too close to the fire. He closed the shop. And I was like, well, that's the guy, you know? I'm not going to push them. I'm not going to whatever. I'm, I'm done. I got to the point to where I didn't want to do this anymore. You know, um, I had done my job. I'd done Occupy. I had done this. I had a beautiful new fiance. I need to get on with life. It's a love story involved in this too. I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> and that, that I think is, is the, the loss of it, right? You have this angry adult who goes out and, freaking wreaks havoc on a particular thing and and here this beautiful australian woman comes in and he's like nah i'm good and uh you know just wants to sail away and and, and be happy in australia <laughs> um, <You know? laughs> i think it's every nerd's dream right <laughs> yeah i totally met her in a hacker chat room man at this point he's about 30 years old it's march 2012 and it's just 10 30 a.m um so i'm downloading this database i wake up i check on i'm like man i need some fucking coffee but it's early for a hacker. While he's getting his coffee, he's really thinking he's done with hacking. He just wants to be with this girl in Australia and forget about hacktivism, at least for now. So I stumble over the coffee uh, machine. I turn on the coffee, it pours out. I made a whole cup of coffee, right? 
So I hear this jingling. I'm like, what the fuck? And so I go and I go look through the peephole and I see the groundskeeper guy trying to let in what looks like five heavily armed men wearing ski masks and shit, right? I'm drinking my coffee and in the back of my head, I'm like, I have time to go grab this thing and throw it in the fire and just let it burn. He's referring to his laptop. I'll open the door and I'll plead not guilty. Um, so it did, it did cross my mind, right? But uh, at the end of the day, I'm just like, you know what? I signed up for this. I knew this day was coming. So I unbolted the doors, opened it up, and all you hear is FBI, you know, hands up. I got literally, I'm in my boxers with a cup of coffee. I'm just like, this is it, man. You know, let's go. Uh, I asked the guy for my pants, you know, because they immediately want to put my hands in cuffs, take my coffee. He didn't give me my coffee. Well, assholes. Did they give you pants? They did let me wear pants, yes. They, they let me put my pants on. Now, fully clothed, he's an open book to the five armed FBI and police officers in his apartment. They're going through all his stuff and asking him a bunch of questions. I'll cop to anything I did. Um, you just ask me. You know what I mean? And if I did it, I'd say, yeah, I did it. If I didn't, no, I didn't. And he pretty much did what, what we just did. He printed up my timeline and just tweet by tweet. Is this you? I'm like, yep, that's me. Is this you? Yep, that's me. Is this you? Yep, that's me. Is this you? Nope, that's not me. I don't even, I didn't do any of that. You know, so. And that was, that was it. But, but I mean, it was shock to my whole family. Wormer's real name is in fact Hinyo, or Hidge for short. The FBI had the right guy. And this is when everything that was dark is now exposed to the daylight. He led such different lives that his family didn't even know he was a hacker. He didn't tell them about the photos of the breasts or whose breasts they were or that he had fallen in love with the woman behind them. And, and, and they asked my family, you know what I mean? Like, hey, you know, what do you know about his um, Australian girlfriend? And my family's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's a nerd. He ain't got no girlfriend, you know? Uh, oh no, he's got an online girlfriend. Nah, he's, he doesn't have an online girlfriend. <laughs> the FBI starts talking to Hidge's parents. And that's when his parents learn that he's been engaged. The FBI agent says... They're engaged. And they're just like, excuse me? My son's engaged to an Australian woman. And they're like, yeah. And they're like, you're fucking crazy, dude. Like, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it was a shock to everybody. The police process him, take him down to jail... He gets out on bail that day. He gets a lawyer and starts working on different kinds of plea deals he might have options for. Like he's willing to admit he's guilty for all these things he's done. So maybe by cooperating with the cops, he might not get that hard of a sentence. He's got a date set for this trial, but in the meantime, he's not allowed to use a computer at all. So all his Skype and chat messages with his online girlfriend, they suddenly stopped. But love moves faster than the law. And it transcends the internet. She doesn't know why. He's suddenly stopped talking to her. So she starts trying to figure it out. She learns he was arrested for hacking. And with that, she feels a sense of loss. Just yesterday, her relationship was getting hot and heavy. But now, it was suddenly gone. They were ripped apart from each other. This wasn't okay for her. She was heartbroken. She told him, I'm coming, Hidge. Meet me at the airport. 
uh, I'm sitting at this airport and my mom's still completely shocked that I even talk to girls, more or less have a, a fiance. And all we know about her is she's got big boobs. She's blonde and Australian, right? <laughs> And so we're sitting at the, at, uh, the airport and we're waiting for her to come in. And, you know, you're just, you're looking at the top of this escalator. And the first blonde that comes over is a six foot tall blonde, look almost like a dude. And I was just like, oh, great. Here he goes. Right. And my mom just starts laughing. Well, that's what you get, right? You go online, you're dating, you think you got this hot chick. It's really, it's a, it's another 30 year old man, man. Good luck. Good, good job, baby. No prison's going to do good for you. And so I was like, Jesus, man, this sucks. And then, you know, she goes all the way down and she's walking towards me. I'm just like, Jesus, dude, please don't be it. Please. Don't. And she even stopped right to look for directions and then walk and then walks off. Right. So I'm like, Oh my God, thank God. And just as that, that, rocked away here comes my uh five two beautiful fiance um over the the escalators come down and and he just ran up to me gave me a giant hug and it was the best to this day the best hug i've ever gotten it was just like everything clicked into place it was just it was i mean i can still i still get goosebumps thinking of that very first time that we met it was just amazing this is kylie the australian girlfriend his fiance, the voice behind the breasts that are maybe the most famous hacker calling card in federal history. When you joined the chat room, what did what did you guys? How did you connect? Uh, he said to me, "Titsel, get the fuck out." <laughs> <laughs> and what did you do after that? I had no idea what that meant. Um, so uh, when he explained it to me, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to send this guy photos. So I sent him a couple of photos, um, one of me in a bikini that I'd been in, in Thailand recently, um, and then another one um, of a very, very tight black dress that I was wearing to a concert. So uh, I, I sent him a couple of pics. <laughs> so he's like, wow, it's, she's real. This is a girl, she has tits, she's got great tits. And um, we just, we started talking and it became romantic pretty quickly. You know, he's charming. He is a great social engineer and he's very smooth at getting, uh, making girls take notice. And so that's what happened. He was just really sweet and, um, and I fell for it. So at some point, um, he asked you to take specific photos um, that say like pwned by Wormer and stuff. He did. So he sent me a bunch of slogans and okay, I've got a great body and, and it, you know, at the point in my life, I, I loved how I looked. Great body. I'm like, yeah, why not? You got it, flaunt it. So I took these photos in various poses and, you know, when I saw them released, um, I didn't have an issue with it. I took, you know, I printed out these signs and I held them up and um, different poses, different bikinis and just sent them to him. I had no clue that it would have gone past i mean I, I had no idea look jack he said when he finally admitted he was a hacker and that he hacked i didn't understand what that meant when she did learn he was a hacker she wasn't entirely on board with it now i'm going to be clear at something when i found out what he was hacking for we had a huge fight about it because coming from i was working as an immigration officer i had that you know that law enforcement background we had a huge fight over the fact 
that he released the police officers' names and to the point where I'm like, what would you do if you hacked immigration? Would you release my details too? Like is that and we we actually, actually if memory serves me correct, we break up for a few days over it. So anyway, while I don't support what he did, I understand why he did it. I don't I don't support the hack. But she did love him. She loved how intelligent and passionate he was about things that were going on in the world. So while they disagreed on this one thing, they clicked on pretty much everything else. Now that she was in Texas with her love, her fiancé, she was happy. The court case was ongoing at the time. So I was like, man, we got to get married. We got to get married. We don't have time to plan a big wedding or anything like that. Let's go just grab a dress. I'll grab the thing. We'll find some close friends. We'll grab them and we'll show up and we'll just get married. And that's what we did. It's Isn't it weird to arrive in a new country, marry somebody who's going to just disappear any day? Oh, my God. When I look back at it, I think, what the heck was I doing? Like, what the? Um, in hindsight, it's crazy. I mean, it is crazy. I, I tell people now, I met him on the Internet. Ten days later, he proposed. Seven weeks later, I flew here. And six days later, we were married. Eight weeks and one day from the day we said hello, we were married. And, you know, it was like, okay, cool. Now we're married. What comes next? And that's about the time when the um, sentencing came about. They had a few months' time between when he got arrested and when he was going to be sentenced for his crimes. While he had been lucky in finding love, he wasn't so lucky in court. For instance, he didn't get lucky with his judge. Around the same time I got arrested, Anonymous had doxxed a Texas judge, right? That Texas judge ends up being my judge. <laughs> An understandably upset judge gave Hidge, our newlywed, 27 months in prison and three years probation. And stuck me in... Um, um, Elkton, eventually in Ohio. Uh, and I was on an FCI, so I was essentially locked up with 95% pedophiles, which not a great fucking two years. But just a few days before going to prison, Kylie and Hidge found out they were going to be parents. Kylie was pregnant. And so after he goes off to prison, Kylie moves in with Hidge's parents. And while the two first met on opposite sides of the world, and they came together physically for a few months, they're now being forced apart once again. Kylie spends a lot of time thinking about Hidge now, and Hidge spends a lot of time thinking about Kylie and his baby. I'm not going to be there for the birth. I'm not going to see his first walk. I'm not going to be there for the first words. But you can't, you can't, there's a saying in prison, you, you do your time, don't let your time do you. Kylie was able to come visit him once in prison before she had the baby. It wasn't easy. The prison didn't want him to have visitors. And there was this whole ordeal. The prison guards finally let them talk through a sort of TV phone system. Even though she was right there at the prison where he was held, it was weird. But she cried the whole time she was able to talk with him. She goes back to Texas. And Hidge's parents help her plan for the baby. You know how you see those TV, um, like, you know, that scene in a, in a TV show where somebody looks like they're in this fog, it's all foggy and mm -hmm. confusing? I kid you not, I came home from the hospital with this baby and that's how I felt. Like, it felt surreal. What, what the hell? I'm in America. She had 
a baby boy. They named him Brody. She wanted Hidge to meet the baby. So she took the baby to prison. It was surreal. Here I am of taking this child of his in that's seven weeks old that, you know, he'd never he'd seen a couple of photos of. And, you know, when, when they're in prison, you can hug and kiss some hello, goodbye, and that's it. You can't touch. You can't hold hands if you do, you know, the prison guards come and yell at you. But he was allowed to hold Brody. So the entire time he just he just held Brody and just, you know, couldn't stop looking at him. I don't know how else to put it, but after you just finally hold your firstborn child, uh, the fact that you have to go back inside and some dude's going to look at your butthole to see if you have any drugs kind of takes the fun out of the moment. Hidge had to serve two years in prison. Kylie was a single parent for those two years, which was really hard for her. He kept asking her to send stuff like books and printouts of articles and stuff like that, which she was happy to do, but she was exhausted and couldn't keep up. Other anonymous members were helping him out too, going through her to send him stuff like money and letters. Anans knew that one of their members had fallen, and they wanted to take care of him however they could. In their eyes, he fell honorably, serving a higher purpose, and their actions showed respect to him. So while he saw her a couple of times in the first year in prison, and would sometimes see pictures of his son, it was still a long wait ahead of him. And Kylie had serious struggles in America. She often thought about moving back to Australia for two years and then coming back when he got out. Because in Australia, she could get support from her family. She knows the place better. It's her home. But here, she's in America, a place she barely knows, raising a kid to a husband who's in prison. After two years of prison time, Hidge gets out. And he had to go to a halfway home in Texas, a few hours away from Kylie. So Kylie goes to Austin and meets with his probation officer to try to figure out when she can see him. So get up there, move into the apartment. Again, Anonymous were the ones who got that apartment for us. We, I had a job lined up for him. We had an apartment. People moved us up there. They paid up. on like, we will be forever indebted to Anonymous because that they made it happen. So here are my Brody um, in this apartment. His probation officer comes to see us like three days after I moved in and she just come to inspect the house. She's like, okay, the only thing is you have to cut your internet off until we say that it's okay to be put on. Uh, like, okay, not a problem. She said, okay, so I'm going to go and see him at the halfway house. I'm going to tell them he's to be released. You know, he's, he's got a great home to go to. Even though he was in the halfway home, it still took them two weeks before they could see each other. And it's funny, you know, Brody, um, he had the most amazing, long, brown, curly hair. And he looked like a girl. Like, I let it grow so long, but I refused to cut my baby's hair until daddy was there. And so I, poor Brody will look back at his photos. He had these little hair clips looking like a girl. And I remember the first time taking Hidge to the halfway house and we were able to get some scissors and we stood there in the walkway and cut his hair together. That was just, you know, it was crazy. Like I'm sitting in a halfway house, borrowing scissors from a prison guard or in a halfway house guard and cutting Brody's hair for the very first time. And I still have that hair like a crazy mother. (laughs) I kept it. Eventually, he finished his time in prison and his halfway house and his probation time. And he was once again a free man, free to move in with his wife and child. And even though he had been married for two years by the time he got out of prison, they still had a lot to learn about each other. And do you feel like um, you owe your wife still for helping you through all that? That is, a back? Lo- 
That is a loaded question. Did she email you right now? <laughs> no. <laughs> Did she email you? Because I what can just imagine it as, a, as, <laughs> as, you know, married and having the kids, there's always stress like, dude, come on. I got, I got your ass, you know, a job out of jail and I moved here for you. Come on. You got to at least get up and get the kid this morning. Well, well, it, it, and the, the rule goes, right? Um, so if she wants to die tomorrow, uh, I owe her two years of solitude. Uh, right that's okay. guaranteed i could die tomorrow and she can marry somebody immediately afterwards it's easy when you're in the prison and when you're in doing the time uh you're not you're not looking at the at the effort that it takes to keep you afloat you know what i mean yeah yeah you're trying you're trying to live in a place you don't want to be you got other worries um i could alter- i don't know her at all but i could just see someone playing that card like Hey, you owe me on this so much, so many things. Even like eight years later, they still come up sometimes. <laughs> well, I mean, it doesn't. She, she's not vindictive. I think. I think I'm. I, you know, after eight years of marriage, or the last six, I think I believe I've you know done pretty good at returning the favor. Um, but yeah, it, it's very much in the you know. It, I can't play the pity card, right? Like, I, oh, you don't even love me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that doesn't work. It's you know, my wife gave up her life. Uh, literally came over here for me. So um, to say I to say I owe her for two years um, is an understatement. You know, I owe I owe her for the entire time that she's been over here and the time that she's, um, you know, given up. And, and you know, whether or not that works, I don't know. I'm still living and breathing. She hasn't poisoned me yet, and uh, and she says tonight's tonight. So maybe tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, otherwise, all, all feels good. And let me tell you, up until about a year ago, that would come up a lot. I would say to him all the time, I have given up my life. I have moved to this country. I had given you everything. When are you going to grow up? <laughs> when are you going to start being the man I married? And you know what? It was hard for him. It, it took him a long time to become back to who he was. I mean, prison, he had a good in prison, but it still changed. I mean, prison's not fun, you know, and he was really lost when he got out and, you know, we, we almost didn't make it on so many occasions and it would come up all the time. I gave up everything for you. I gave up everything for you. And honestly, about a year ago, it, it, he just came back to the person that I knew he was. Um, and I stopped saying to him, you owe me two years, you owe me two years. Um, you know, the last year of our marriage has been better than it's ever been. Um, but we, we almost didn't make it quite often and and you know what what held us together for me was I gave up my life I gave up my country I gave up a great career I had just finished building a house rented it out the month before for an investment property because I sold it so quickly I ended up making no money like I gave up everything I refused to have to be stuck in America divorced from my husband and trapped here because I you know we would never take either parent away from the kids and that was the thing if I was going to divorce him I would be stuck in a country that no offense I don't want to be in unless I'm married so it was you know that was my motivation his motivation is like you know we've been through so much we love each other the kids but um you know that for me I was just determined to have not have done it all for nothing obviously my kids they're absolutely worth it but on the you know the other side so you know about a year ago we finally just fell into a very good group but it it took years we almost didn't make it jack we almost didn't wow 
Yeah, um, it's crazy. So if your kids grow up to become hacktivists, do you have any <laughs> advice for them? Oh, after I finish screaming for like three days straight, <laughs> um, I will tell them, do not do it. Yeah, this stuff can really hurt you in the, in the bad end. Um, but I'm a hacker. I was born a hacker. I've been a hacker my entire life, and I expect my kids to do the same. I do not, do not at all, and will never recommend hacktivism for anyone. I understand there are points, there are things that you want to change in this world, but let me tell you right now, Jack, nobody remembers that Hedge hacked the cops because cops were being dicks. Um, and the best I could say is, hey, if you're willing to go out there, if that's something you want to do, I could tell you right now it sucks and it's a long, whole lot of suckiness for a long time. But don't stand, don't stand for something you're not willing to fall for. Nobody is ever going to remember that he hacked them to try and stop them from beating up other people. All that they're going to remember is that he hacked the police. We have been for the last eight years to this day. Oh, my God. And please, if nothing else, please play this part. People still, after eight years, won't employ him because they are scared he is going to hack them. He is not going to lose his family to hack. I, I don't, if my kids ever want to get into hacktivism, I, if I have to lock them up in a room for 10 years, I will do that because I refuse to let that happen. We have been homeless. We have been hungry. We've had, you know, he's been offered job after job, you know, that he's supposed to start the following week that gets cancelled the Friday before, you know, offers of $125,000. Like, Jack, we have been homeless to the point that, our pipes froze, we had holes, and like it was holes in the winter. It was horrible. I will never, ever recommend hacktivism to anyone. If you want to make a point, if you want to change the world, then do not put yourself at risk because at the end of the day, whatever you're trying to rectify is not going to be rectified. All that's going to end up is that you're going to end in prison, and they're not, prison's the easy part. You've got two years in prison, 10 years in prison, whatever. That's the easy part because for the rest of your life, you are going to be turned down for employment. People are going to be scared that you're going to hack and it's going to ruin so many aspects of your life. And I, I, I cannot tell you the struggle even after eight years. Hacktivism is not worth it. Find another outlet. Find a better way to do something because the only thing you're going to change is the fact that you will ruin the rest of your life. Hidge and Kylie are still together today, after eight years of marriage, or six years, however you want to see it. And in that time, they've had two kids together. And despite all the separations and reunions and struggles, they're doing pretty good now. A big thank you to our guests this episode, Hidge and Kylie. I didn't know I was getting into a love story when I started this, but here it is, happily ever after and all that. The show is created by me, KidVid19, Jack Recider. This episode was produced by the resilient Jake Warga. Sound design by the fine-tuned Andrew Merriweather. And editing help from the sparkling Damien. Our theme music is by the book-writing Breakmaster Cylinder. And even though when I show my password to other people, they say it's very strong, I still sometimes get hacked. This is Darknet Diaries.